Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you on this fine autumnal morning? All all is good with the world. Back from Amsterdam. Uh, A a great time was had by all, it has to be said. Um, (laughs) Including one of my friends who who didn't make it to the match, but still, in his eyes, in, in his words, said... I had the greatest 72 hours of my life and I can't remember a single one of them. Well, does you, anyone know where he went while the match was on? <laughs> yes, but this is a family show. <laughs> it wasn't the Prowler, was it? No, no, no. The Prowler, Prowler's a, a Rochdale fan here. I've, yeah, I've, been, I've been to Amsterdam with the Prowler on cricket tour, um, which uh, people might say there's, there's not many cricket teams in Amsterdam. That's precisely none, but it doesn't stop us from going on cricket tour. Yeah, well, the, the old one, the old one-sided cricket. It's a great game. Yes. Uh, yeah, well, I, even even I had to reluctantly concede for, I'd say, one point nine seconds. That that was a good result and a decent <laughs> performance. You know, they define the New York minute as the shortest space of time between the traffic light <laughs> changing and someone being. <laughs> The uh, the Brighton appreciation minute is even shorter time unit than that. But it's questions day, Kieran. We've got some crackers today. I have to say, some really good. Um, um, and the crackers reminds me that Christmas is coming, so that's cheered me up even more after yesterday's. I mean, Kieran, I'm going to get you to do a, some kind of accountancy valuation chart for my season ticket for the amount of points gained for the amount of money I pay for it. Just because I, I frankly don't think I'm getting a bang for my buck at the moment. Anyway, Matthew Allison has our first question, and this is an interesting one, Kieran. Mm-hmm. Matthew says, given the surge in state ownership of football clubs from traditionally Islamic nations, do you know if those clubs are compliant with Sharia law, especially in relation to interest income? Because under Sharia law, a club cannot earn interest on the cash it holds in its bank accounts. Right. Um, this is an intriguing one. So I've looked in depth at the accounts of both Newcastle United and Manchester City. And certainly under the uh, Sharia law uh, in terms of finance, there is this concept of you should not lend money or collect interest uh, on that. And from what I can see, both clubs are, are broadly compliant. What we have seen as far as both Manchester City and Newcastle United is concerned is that the outstanding loans that the clubs used to have prior to the takeovers, those loans have been paid off um, when the new owners moved in. And in the case of Newcastle, um, I think Mike Ashley was owed around about £115 million, although I think that would have been compliant uh, because those loans were interest-free. But there are, there is no debt, as uh, no formal debt, as far as both clubs are concerned. And although they are showing interest charges and interest income, that would appear to be in relation to the way that football transfers are dealt with. Because if you're paying in instalments, what do you do is that if you're paying instalments over four years and it's a £40 million deal, um, under the latest variant of of international accounting rules, you'd probably say that there was a, a sale of a player for £35 million and £5 million interest. 
and they, they start to get involved with a bit of financial maths and so on. So I think they are broadly compliant. It, whether um, there is interest being earned on cash held, I'm, I'm not so certain. It's not possible to see from the accounts. But I think in terms of other aspects of um, Sharia financial rules, uh, the clubs do seem to be broadly in line with it. Hmm. As, yes, anybody who's got any uh, more insight into this situation, we'd love to hear from you. Um, you'd have to become one of our secret staff, obviously, but we've got room on the roster, I believe, Kieran, haven't we? We'll have, we'll have to get an extension, I think, but yeah, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the secret Shariah banker is more than welcome. Yeah. Alan Marples has our next question and Alan says I have worked for the NHS for several years well done Alan, thank you in 2019 my employment and that of around 900 staff were transferred to a wholly owned subsidiary, don't get me started of the NHS trust we worked for it was explained to us that the subsidiary was a private business I'm, gonna, I'm getting started bound by NHS legislation that could not be sold privately the benefit being that this business could look at commercial opportunities in order to bring in further income, and it also had some tax benefits. Could football clubs employ a similar principle in separating parts of the business into subsidiaries, moving non-profitable departments away from the main club in order to aid with their FFP or PNS targets? Well, this is a bit of a corker, um, and this allows us to, to bring back an old friend to the podcast. It's a long time since I've said the words Mel and Morris next to one another. Oh, it's like Christmas and crackers. It's cheered me me up again. (laughs) I give you Derby County. And Derby County used to be Derby County Football Club Limited. Everything took place as far as the the organisation was concerned. And then in 2016, just as Mel was starting to up the spending and uh, commence some very creative approaches with regards to my my other Christmas present, which is, of course, amortisation, there appeared um, Derby County Academy, Club DCFC, Stadia DCFC and these companies uh, individually looked after the the academy part of the the football club event catering sponsorship and broadcasting and it allowed Derby County Football Club to transfer a hundred jobs to these other companies and therefore clearly a hundred people as far as payroll was concerned um, and he set up a company called Sevco five one one two which looked after all the companies. The rationale for this was never made clear um, and, and trying to work out what's happened since then is, is not only impossible because Derby haven't published anything, uh, any financial information since 2018. Um, you know, I, I actually had a phone call from a Derby employee this week. Um, so the, the secret Derby employee, as he's now known, uh, <laughs> to say as part of that discussion... Um, it's fair to say that Mel Morris still has boots on the ground at Pride Park, despite him, his, him not being seen there. Uh, it looks like he's got his henchmen still involved who attend board meetings and so on. So it's, it's a very strange position that the that club was in. Uh, we don't know the financial position, but in, in terms of, of Alan's broader question, um, it, is a, it is possible to, to outsource some of the work functions of the football club to third-party companies. 
how can that work in terms of favor of FFP? Well, what you can do, let, let's say that catering costs you three million pounds a year to run. You outsource it to another company. That company is run by a friend of the owner of the football club. And this, is, this, this isn't the case at Derby, by the way, I hasten to add. Um, and, and that person charges you, say, one million pounds to run the catering. That their company makes a loss. The owner of the football club looks after their mate. So you know, there are certainly uh, Machiavellian ways to shift employment and to reduce the cost centre of uh, football clubs if the objective of the owner stroke board is to try to circumvent FFP uh, in different ways and means. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sevco 5112 sounds like a bot, doesn't it? It does. It sounds like when you you know when you wake up in the morning you think, Oh, I've got ten new followers. No, it's Sevco five one one two, one one three, one one four. Or or the sort of they sound like the sort of gas engineering company that you'd skip over when you're Googling help my boilers broken. Um uh, Daniel Chadwick has a sort of question that I particularly like from from a certain sort of listener that we have. I like to call them the pub listener. Um I, who generate questions by sitting around a pub table with their mates. Uh, Daniel, my apologies if you're a teetotaler or if you're nine. Um, <laughs> Daniel Chadwick's question, is it possible to create a league table of managers who have made the most money from being sacked by Premier League clubs? It certainly is, Daniel. It certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, Matt, just shine that big spotlight into the sky and he'll come. <laughs> yes, um, and this... Uh, this particular league table has to be said it's dominated by the former managers of two or three clubs. Uh, first of all, Chelsea, uh, oh, being course, quite yeah. spectacular <laughs> years under Abramovich. Um, secondly, Manchester United and third Spurs. But Manchester United, Manchester United didn't used to be on it, but since they've had, you know, have, how many managers have they had since Sir Alex retired? I've, I've lost track. Um, and. Second in the table, I'll just give you the top two. Uh, I think the third one is is arguable. I think it's a few contenders. Second in the table is Conte. Um, he got a £26 million payoff from Chelsea. He, he was initially offered, I think, around about half that and said, no, 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 this is, I'm Antonio Conte. I, I deserve more. And he took Chelsea to a tribunal and he ended up with, I think, £26.6 million. Um, but uh, top of the table, not not by a nose, not by a length, but by a couple of furlongs, is the boy Mourinho. In total, he's earned seventy-seven and a half million pounds in managerial payoffs, of which around about sixty million has come from the Premier League. Um, he's been sacked twice by Chelsea. That brought him in over £30 million. And then we've got Manchester United and Spurs, which have brought in probably in the region of another £25, uh, £27 million. So um, he has done extremely well out of his severance pay. Um, and there's other eight-figure payoffs, uh, Scolari, Potter, you know, and so on. You know, People who had signed long-term contracts and for whatever reason, the... The, the owner's stroke uh, board got cold feet and sacked them, have, have done extremely well out of this. Mm. Potter. Potter, you say. Potter. Potter? 
Has he got a job yet? Because I've got a club. I think might be looking for somebody's. I'm so glad Alan Pardew's not on that list. That made me really cross. If Alan Pardew <laughs> featured, featured anywhere else on that list. So hopefully there's a league two that Alan Pardew's languishing halfway down on that. Um, our, our next question, Kira, comes from Vitas Carousella. Um, apologies if I've mispronounced that, Vitas. Uh, Vitas has a very good question. Vitas says, obviously, sponsorships are a huge part of modern football, but I can't help but notice many of them are tied to the fossil fuel industry. Given the climate crisis we are in, so Vitas is obviously not a Daily Mail reader then, because he's acknowledging there is a climate crisis, it would be great to see a shift towards green sponsorship. Is there a market for green sponsors in football? Can they and should they compete with the current major sponsors of the major clubs and leagues? Well, I mean, there's, there's one club that always crops up in these conversations, Kieran, that's going to be Forest Green Rovers. But um, I think Vitas is arguing for green sponsorship, at, and, I, and I beg their pardon, for these bigger clubs than Forest Green. Yes. Um, I think it's it's then a case of how do you define green sponsorship? But perhaps more importantly, how much are the sponsors willing to pay? Because if you talk to commercial directors of clubs, um, and again, I had the uh, pleasure of dis- having a long discussion with one earlier this week. Um, he says, you know, we are under pressure to deliver uh, the best deals. Now, the best deals are measured in terms of financial bottom line a lot of the time, not by all clubs, because we have seen quite a few clubs now, you know, the likes of, of Tranmere and so on say, well, we are not willing to to partner with gambling companies because we feel that the, the downsides exceed the upsides. But if we then look at what we would consider to be the main sponsors of football clubs, um, it is gambling. It's also financial services. Um, but then you say, well, hold on. You know, what did the financial services industry do in 2007 it it took the the global economy into recession through poor regulation poor governance and so on so you know whilst it's not a fossil fuel it it's a it's an industry which caused a huge amount of distress uh, on an individual level um the motor vehicle industry does sponsor football clubs you know we, we've we've got the uh, sort of the, the car We've got car manufacturers on an individual basis, clearly with Chevrolet uh, in terms of Manchester United until recently. Um, we've we've got the sort of the brokers of cars. So that, you know, that is quite popular. We've also got airlines, Emirates, Etihad, uh, others, uh, you know, the travel industry. Yeah, you could argue that American Express sort of straddle the, the travel industry and financial services. So they are all generous benefactors to clubs. Could the green industry replace that? Well, as the commercial uh, director said to me, show us your money and we'll have a conversation. But there's not there's not a lot coming forward from um, the green industry. Uh, could football clubs afford to cope with less money coming in? Well, 18 out of 20 Premier League clubs are losing money on an operational level. All the clubs in the championship are losing money. So trying to persuade uh, football club owners and football club boards, because they'll turn around and say, well, if, if we don't take the front of shirt adverts, it will go to cricket or it'll go to rugby. Or all what we will see is that the budgets for these companies, it, 
they'll be advertised on TV and radio. So is football being scapegoated and is football held to a higher ethical and moral compass than other industries which are beneficiaries of, of marketing and sponsorship? I think that's, that's a much broader discussion. Um, yeah, I think we, we do have that belief that our football clubs are different, but they're still loss-making companies. And the owners are saying, well, yeah, those losses are coming out of my pocket. And why should I have to go and put up with it when it's not illegal? Yeah, I, I, it's almost too simple to say that the, the logic is that green, green sponsors simply won't have the sort of money that it takes to sponsor the front of a shirt for a Premier League team. But the Premier League team would quite happily establish its green credentials if such green sponsors did exist and could pay them that money. So they would they would happily embrace the green the green sponsor and say, "Look at us, aren't we?" But yeah, there is a. I think Vitas makes a point. There's a, a greater responsibility here, Kieran, isn't there? To an extent, that sooner or later football clubs have to realise that the climate crisis will affect them as well. Basically, you know, you can't keep making money if your ground's underwater. Yes, uh, but there's there appears to be there's no political will for it. We, we you know, and no, no. you know I'm fiercely non-party political, but the government has just said we're going to encourage people to drill for more oil uh, at a time when fossil fuels. Now, if central government isn't prepared to take climate change seriously, is it beholden upon what ultimately is a relatively small industry in the shape yeah, of, of the football point. industry to to take up that particular mantle when yeah, many of the owners might hold similar beliefs to, to the government? Poor old King. His his teeth were clenched so tightly when he has to talk about his government drilling for oil and gas. It's like watching the ventriloquist dummy. Um, ben Evans is a Sutton United season ticket holder who says that he regularly visits County Tipperary in Ireland during the summer or over Christmas. On these occasions, says Ben, I expected to be able to watch Sutton's three o'clock Saturday games via the EFL's iFollow service. However, it states that as I am in the Republic of Ireland, due to the blackout rule, I'm not allowed to do so. The EFO iFollow service imposes the blackout for the UK, Channel Islands, the Isle of Man and the Republic of Ireland. Why is this the case when the Republic is not part of the UK and Premier Sports televises a live Premier League Saturday game at 3pm each weekend in Ireland? Intriguing on this. Uh, I'd be interested to know what part of Tipperary Ben goes to because... uh, the family's got a farm in Tipperary. Uh, I used to get, I used to be decamped every single summer <laughs> for four or five weeks to, uh, to my Uncle Mick and Uncle Tommy and so on. And they couldn't understand a word that I said. And I couldn't understand a word that they said because. <laughs> that, that, that little fella just talks numbers all the time. <laughs> That's right. He talks numbers. I can do that accent. I'm half Irish, <laughs> by the way. I'm allowed to do that. It must have been baffled by you, Kieran, really. And you probably had a, a, some kind of three piece suit, I imagine, <laughs> treading over the, the mud in the farmyard with your no, nose I, in, a, I, in a spreadsheet. I, I turned my keep from about the age of seven or eight, go in, collect the cows, milk the cows before they had milking machines and. Uh, I I learned to drive a tractor uh, at a very young age because we used to have to take the milk to to the dairy every morning. Uh, But I could normally uh, tell my my cousin Chris just how much money uh, they'd made from each milking. 
uh, because I could <laughs> do the sums up in my head. And, and, and he looked at me, devil child, who is this man? Who is this small, small creature that is doing all these strange things with numbers? Just, they must have thought you were some kind of he's just sitting little tiny fellas sitting behind the wheel of a tractor mumbling numbers under your breath. I'm surprised the priest didn't come in and start sprinkling you with stuff. <laughs> yes, um, but back back to Ben's question. Um, with regards to the position, it's it's a contractual agreement between the EFL and uh, the Republic of Ireland. Um, it does seem to be an anomaly, given that the ROI is is independent as uh, part of the EU. But because it's quite easy to pick up Irish TV in the north of Ireland, because you know, you've got, yeah, of course, there there's there there is the potential for a bit of geographical overlap, and I suspect that might be a contributory factor. Um, I have asked the EFL, so I, as soon as I get a definitive answer. Uh, ben, I'll, I'll I'll let you know that one. Oh, oh you've asked the EFL. Sorry, I was distracted then because obviously your magic powers have uh, been distributed to your dog. Then not only that, his dog can open doors. You know that his dog opens doors himself. <laughs> get the priest. <laughs> oh, good. So you've asked the EFL. That's interesting. So we will get um, a definitive answer to that question for Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Good. Are you tired of dealing with that relentless stubble situation? Do you dream of having that fresh, clean-shaven look, but cringe at the thought of battling the daily grind of a wet shave? You're not alone. And that's why we've teamed up with Manscaped to bring you the ultimate solution. Brace yourselves, because Manscaped is making a statement in the beard game with the all-new Handyman Electric Face Shaver, Join the 9 million gents worldwide who've entrusted their grooming to Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFOOTBALL, all in big letters, PRICEOFOOTBALL, for 20% off plus free shipping. With the handyman's skin-safe technology, those pesky nicks and cuts are history, giving you the confidence to aim for a super close shave. Whether it's a wet or dry affair, Handyman is your trusty sidekick, ready for action wherever you go. And its compact design and airplane friendliness make it your ultimate on-the-go grooming tool. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFOOTBALL. Hit the refresh button with the Handyman. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas 
into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Andrew Elwick has a question, and do you know what? It's one of those questions. Again, I always say this: it's it's a subject we we bandy about a lot. But Andrew's put his finger on a, a, the problem for this here, so I'm interested to hear what you say in response to this. Andrew says, "I am open brackets for my sins, close brackets, a dedicated Queens Park Rangers fan. Tough season so far, Andrew. With a question about owners propping up clubs." by writing a cheque every month to balance the books. It's been reported that the owners of QPR put somewhere in the vicinity of £2 million a month into the club to keep us afloat. To most of us, open brackets, including me, close brackets, says Andrew, this is a lot of money, but I'm also not naive enough to think that people with this much money do these things out of the goodness of their heart, especially when, as in our case, the owners have no particular historical connection to the club, i.e. they aren't fan owners like Tony Bloom at Brighton or Matthew Benham at Brentford. And this is the nub of the, the matter here. I think my question is, what are the advantage, in terms of taxes, I would assume, of losing that kind of money? Because we, we've spoken a lot. We, we probably speak every week here about owners pumping money into the club. And, and I think this is the first time it's actually occurred to me, prompted by Andrew, to go, why, what, are they, what are they getting out of it, apart from keeping the club that they love going, presumably? Yeah, and a lot of the time, it's not a club that they love. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah. If we take a look at the, the background to QPR, um, it's owned by broadly by four organisations, one of which is called Soccer, Total Soccer Growth um, which I think is based in Singapore way. Then we've got QPR Asia, QPR Nuco. Uh, we've got 10%, which is owned by the Mittal family from India. Uh, I think it, we, there are no tax benefits to, to this ownership, even, even if you have to write off the shares, um, because certainly as far as UK tax is concerned, you can only offset your losses against other companies in the, in broadly the same industry. So I think they might struggle there. The reason why these people get involved is because football brings a degree of kudos and fame that you can get nowhere else. And you might say, well, you're not getting a lot of kudos being involved with QPR because they haven't, you know, as you rightly said, they're having a, a pretty tough season and they, they've not really been threatening the playoffs for a, for a good few years. Um, what tends to be the case is that they get invited to the boardroom. They they put in a few million. Um, it, it's a terrible thing. To say. It's small change. If if you are as uh, if you are as wealthy as the Mittal family, you know, who, who who are the, the the steel company, or I think it's it Tattoo that they own in uh, in India, along with many other companies, that this 
is the equivalent of owning a string of racehorses, owning some works of art, and it's just the ability to say, I own an English football club, and that impresses your mates because they don't. And you know, their, their mates, they've all got the helicopters, they've all got the apartments in Manhattan and Monaco, yeah, they've all got the trappings of wealth. But football clubs are a relatively rare breed. Uh, it's, it's similar to IPL franchises as far as, as, far as cricket is concerned. Um, you know, there's only a handful of them around at any one time. And therefore, um, the, the social benefits of owning a football club far outweigh the, the financial costs because the financial costs are insignificant to people of this degree of wealth. You see, I, I do, I understand that argument, Kieran, but I somehow can't imagine one of the Mittal family, let's say, having cocktails on a, a penthouse apartment in New York with senior Republican politicians going, oh, by the way, I own a, I own a football club. In a, oh, really, Chelsea? No, no, no. Man United? No. Keep going. Keep, keep, no, keep going. Brent, Brentford? No. Keep you I don't think it's going to... It's not going to open many doors in New York society, is it? Opening QPR? Well, Wrexham has Fair indicated yeah, that yeah. It, it can it can change. Uh, you, you'll be amazed. I, I I taught in the states uh, this summer for a few days, and I was absolutely staggered at the the number of questions I got asked by uh, American students at, at all levels of football, especially following the welcome to Wrexham, because they now see. Yeah, remember we've got new new owners from the United States at Crawley. And yeah, that's they, true. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're moving into a series of different clubs. Um, and I even got a message on one of the networking services from an overseas owner of a club, which, which I can't say who it is as yet, saying, yeah, just got the book and can you just tell us a bit more about this? And, and clearly their familiarity with the, the intricacies of the game from a financial perspective is, is limited. But... There is huge enthusiasm. Um, if, if we take a look at the the three most appreciated brands um, overseas of, of this country, it's the Royal Family, it's the BBC, and it's the football. And, yeah, and we don't realise just how, how impressed overseas people are because it's so embedded as part of our culture. Yeah, there, there is... Yeah, Newcastle last night were playing at Bournemouth at a five thirty kickoff. And yet the away end was sold out. Yeah, of and course. we just accept that as a norm. You know, th- th- those those fans won't be home until you know two three o'clock in the morning. That, that's football, and and there's sort of that that intrigue because it doesn't exist in NFL or NBA or anything like that. Yeah, well, when these young American people ask you a, a very obvious, simple question about English football, Kieran, I hope you don't roll your eyes. Because you know how much trouble rolling your eyes can get you into. <laughs> I didn't realise you had yes. that annoying habit until it was pointed out to me by the Baroness the other day. Oh, he rolls his eyes, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's my, it's my, one of my worst traits. <laughs> oh, wait, Kieran, if that's your worst trait, is that you roll your eyes every now and again, that's fine. You're the world's leading football financial expert. Of course, some of the things people say to you, me especially, <laughs> are going to make your eyes roll. Now, Kieran, I, know, I, no- I, I, treat, I treat every question with respect because... You do? I know you do. I, 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 always, I always argue to students that they say, oh, I don't want to ask this question, it's stupid. And my view is that the, the only stupid questions are the ones that we never ask. Yep, I, so, I agree. Yeah, I'm a great believer. 
in yep. in communication and explanation. Really, you know, I'm a teacher. It's, it's it's one of the reasons we love you so much, Kieran. And you're a very good teacher as well. Um, we've we've had Mel Morris, Kieran. Now we're getting Ron Martin. It's like one of those 1980s reunion <laughs> tours. We've got we've, we're going to close the show with Human League. Um, both girls. Uh, Thomas Salmon says um, uh, that's, that's a good name for somebody who supports a club by the sea, isn't it? That's a great. Thomas Salmon says Southend United owe Ron Martin around twenty million pound from loans he's given to the club over the last 20 years. What would happen to these loans if the club was put into administration? Would they get written off, or will a potential new buyer have to take on these debts too? Right. When an organisation goes into administration, the administrator sells the assets of the company, and the liabilities are ring-fenced. Now, what happens is that when the administrator sells the business, they receive money, And first of all, as we know, the administrators take their share and the rest is divvied out. Now, it's divvied out on the basis of a strict pecking order. If Ron Martin's loans, which I think come from a company called Southeast Leisure, if those are what we refer to as as preferential or secured, or secured in the case of a loan, then they would have first dibs. Uh, in terms of the, the money to be distributed by by then the liquidator of, of the company. So the new owner will not be inheriting the legacy loans from Ron Martin. But um, if you don't pay 25% to all of the uh, all of the creditors under EFL rules, and I appreciate that uh, uh, Southend United's in, in the National League at present. Under, under EFL rules and under Premier League rules, you're subject to a further 15-point penalty. And the reason for this, this was to, if, if, you, if you go back about 20 years, we had a spate of clubs going into administration, coming out of administration 10 minutes later, having cleared all of the debts um, and all of the responsibilities. And yeah, there's, there's, there's some people who, should we say, a bit bit crusty, uh, who who seem to be playing the game here. Leeds United did it, didn't they? Possibly, yes, indeed, yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, no, I think I, it's a I, question I of fact here, Ken Bates it, and Leeds it, United fact, definitely did it. Yeah, yes, uh, and I think they couldn't remember who owned the club at the time, which I always <laughs> found an intriguing one. Uh, so who put it into administration when they didn't know who was owning it? That's, that's, uh, that's an existential question. Um and therefore, this series of points deductions was brought in to stop people from gaming the system with what we refer to as an administration prepack, where the the new owner is effectively sorted before the company, the Stroke Football Club, goes formally into uh, administration itself. Okay. Our penultimate question, Kieran, comes from uh, James Simcox. And James says, I've been wondering whether football players have considered, or if any have actually got within their contract, if they could receive royalties from on-demand videos that are viewed containing them from their time at the club. I ask, because, and I know it's a completely different industry, but World Wrestling Entertainment pay royalties quarterly to former employees from videos that include them that are viewed on their online network. Could this be a revenue stream that would allow players to receive money from the club long after they've retired? It's a, it's a very good question, Kieran, because clubs will show highlight videos going back you know, decades sometimes, and it's, it'd be an interesting thing to think that Pat Jennings, for example, was still getting a bit of money every time Spurs 
show the game that he was playing in? Yes. Um, so I contacted an employment lawyer with regards to this, <laughs> and it will come as no great surprise. <laughs> you see, Kieran, it depends. Um, it, it is something which could be embedded into contracts. Um, but realistically, the the sums we are talking would be tiny. Yeah, it, it's a bit like having, you know, if, if, you, if you go back to some of the programs that you've appeared on, which now appear on YouTube, that YouTube yeah, pays yeah. so little to the production company that by the time they ever got round to paying you, uh, it, it's it's a laughable sum of money. So um, conceptually, yes. Um, is there an opportunity for uh, negotiators to improve those rates? Yes, there is. But exactly how often do we see, you know, do we actually tune to watch, uh, you know, Brighton versus Huddersfield 1974? You know, it's, it's something which sounds good, but actually you'll flip through it on YouTube and then you'll never go back to it again. And there's, there's a relatively small pool of quite, Elderly, and we are. Let's face it, we're not. We're not spring chickens anymore. As I say, oh, yeah. Remember, remember when pitches were rolled mud, and let's let's go and look at a few games from the seventies, and then we do that, and then we forget all about it again. So, I, I, the the number of views is far lower than people actually realise. Yeah, it's the same with big match revisited. When you're you're strolling through the, the listings for something to watch on a Sunday morning, it goes big match revisited. You think, oh, great. Um, but if it's if it's Gillingham v Colchester, you think, oh right, okay. I was hoping for a Palace game. You're quite right. I, I did once get paid. Um, I'm not sure what the Belgian equivalent of UK gold is. Uh, Law Belgique. <laughs> I don't know. But I got three. I got a, a payment of three pence from them for once, which my agent took great pleasure in putting it through the normal payment practice. So I got, and she took, she took her point three p off. Which she rounded up to a penny. <laughs> it rounded up to a penny. I ended up with tuppence, basically. But uh, Paul Edwards, <laughs> tuppence, two pence. That you, know, you talk about how old we are. How much do you get, Governor? Tuppence. <laughs> Same amount we used to give Kieran when he was on the tractor doing sums in his head. Throw, the, throw tuppence at the boy. <laughs> Edwards has our uh, last question, and it's um, another interesting one, and it's one right up your strasser, Kieran. Uh, Kieran has mentioned several times that club accounts have to comply with accounting standards. As those standards apply generally across all sectors, they won't include a requirement to publish a profitability and sustainability calculation. So how is compliance measured in practice? Do clubs have to submit something to the Premier League that is then audited and reconciled to the published accounts? Or is there a team of Kierans at Premier League HQ trying to piece the figures together in some way? Given the potentially significant implications of failing the test, you'd hope that there is a structured process. A team of Kierans, Kieran. Can you imagine that? A whole team of Kierans. That's a Doctor Who Highly unlikely. It's a Doctor Who episode. (laughs) 11 Kierans coming at you with their arms outstretched, amortising the TARDIS. Never mind the Cybermen. Watch out for the spreadsheet geeks. Um, Well, it's highly unlikely to be a team of me at the Premier League HQ, given how disliked I am by the Premier League. Um, But um, I I refer you, Paul, to both the Premier League handbook and the EFL handbook. If you go to the appropriate sections 
um, they have a, a effectively a pro forma document in which clubs use to submit their PNS calculations. And this goes for T0, T-1, T-2 when, when assessing clubs over a three-year period and also the, the special rules that we have uh, in terms of both Leagues 1 and 2. Um, and what happens here is that you start off with the audited accounts um, or the, the, the published accounts because many clubs in League 1 and 2 don't actually have audited uh, accounts and then you put through the appropriate adjustments so in the case of uh, Premier League clubs they would be allowed to put through the adjustments in terms of infrastructure spend academy spend women's football community schemes and also uh, COVID uh, and, and you know, I think the COVID claims have proven to be uh, quite uh, provoked quite a bit of debate and uh, re- resulting in potentially some charges which we, we might be getting some answers to. Um, so, so there are uh, definitive forms, and, and then those are submitted to both the Premier League and the EFL, whose um, who's, who's army of accountants. And they do actually have, uh, they've just, the, the EFL recently were advertising a job for somebody to, to, to effectively do this, to, to be the, the, the scrutinizer. Um, and yeah, you know, as, as I've often said to you, Kevin, you know, when I when I see a spreadsheet, I genuinely I don't see numbers. I, I see patterns. Just like you know, I'm not going to big myself up. You know, uh, if if you look if you've got a sheet of music, I just see dots and lines. Whereas a musician mentally can. And when I see those patterns, you're looking for idiosyncrasies. You're looking for a story behind those numbers and the patterns and so on. And that's that's how you hopefully helps you to frame the correct questions when uh, you are then sort of just uh, phoning up the clubs and saying, could you just give us a bit of further information with regards to X, Y, or Z? Um, so there, there is a process. The clubs are aware of the process. The clubs are also aware that both the Premier League and the EFL have very much upped their game in recent years. Um, and therefore, this acts as a deterrent um, uh, from clubs. Some club owners still think that they're smarter than the the scrutinizing authorities um, and that's why we've ended up with a few uh, few uh, toxic debates taking place between clubs and the uh, the authorities could you teach someone Kieran to recognize those patterns in the spreadsheet or is it um, a, a gift that you're born with as as many musicians are no 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 I, I that's what I do teach you know I, I yeah that's that's my that's my day job is you know I, when I'm when I'm teaching you know, either final year undergraduates or teaching on an MBA course or a master's course or, or teaching bankers, which is what I do in the summer and so on. Um, you, you're looking for bumps in the road. You're looking for expectations. You're looking for certain relationships because business is actually quite boring. And most businesses are, are fairly, fairly constant in, in terms of the relationship between revenue and costs. And when things are idiosyncratic, there can be legitimate explanations but that's that's the whole purpose. You, you you once you know which metrics to start to put together, and, and that's that's what I try to, to teach people. And it's the numbers themselves are not interesting. It's the story behind the numbers. And, and I always say to people, you know, if I'm if I'm reviewing a piece of work, I'm not interested in the what's. I'm interested in the why's. I'm interested in the because's. I'm interested in the implications for the future, which are the so what's. And and that's that's how an analyst, in my view earns their corn. Anybody can churn out uh, a fairly simple report to say this has gone up, this has gone down, so on. But it's, it, but yeah, you know, 
I, I learned that the number two was bigger than the number one when when I was in short pants, yeah, as we all did. So uh, trying to to look at rationales and stories and histories and explanations is, is what makes a good analyst, in my view. So no wonder they those farmers in Tipperary Tipperary were worried. The little fellas on the tractor, he just keeps going on about number two. <laughs> we'll get him off the track today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that would be very kind of you. Uh, It will also get you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash price of football. If you've got a question you'd like answered on the show, you can email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. If you'd like to buy our book or one of our other books or get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt, you can find details on our website, priceoffootball.com. We're having a sort of informal book launch on Thursday the 16th. That's his Thursday coming at Dulwich Hamlet FC. Um, Tickets are a fiver. um, And if you can't afford a fiver, just come along anyway. And you'll be very welcome. So in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Um, well, the power of the podcast is that such that during our conversation this morning, I've had a reply from oh. the EFL. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, they, they are, fair play. They're, they're, they're around and they're busy on yeah, Sunday mornings. Yeah, they're, they're not putting they're their awake. feet up after. <laughs> yeah. um, and here, here is the answer. It's come from um, senior sources. Um, with regards to the uh, regard to Ben's question, it's a rights holder issue. UK rights sales are almost always UK and the Republic of Ireland due to the footprint of the Astra satellites. I effectively what I was saying earlier, you can yeah yeah um, which deliver footage. Our Sky deal, i.e., the EFLs, is UK and Republic of Ireland. So, oh, okay, well, there we have it. So, well done, Kieran. Well done, the EFL. I, I just hope we haven't started an argument in a household somewhere, Kieran, where <laughs> said, said senior figure with the EFL was enjoying a leisurely morning cup of tea and a read of the paper with his partner, and his partner suddenly goes, what, what are we doing? Who are you, t- who are you texting? What? Is that, that's Maguire. This this relationship is in trouble. <laughs> yes, you, you exactly. te- you're texting Maguire on a Sunday morning, aren't you? <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, Customary so- farewell time, Kieran. A customary farewell. Um, yes, thank you to everybody on Patreon. We're we're, we're truly appreciative of the the generosity that you show towards the show, um, and uh, we we do try to make sure that we we reinvest as much as we we can. Um, really looking forward to the show uh, on Thursday at Dulwich. Uh, yeah, we we try to put things back as much as we can. So, yes, it's formally a book launch. It will it will metamorphize into a glorified <laughs> price of football podcast we we know what you can't stop us once we start wittering on um but there's there's another way that you can support the show um and that's to go on to your app and to uh give us a review it, it helps us in the charts it helps us with the algorithms it doesn't matter what you say and we're, we're recording this um on Armistice Weekend. So you could even say you would rather have the show presented by my great uncle Arthur. My great uncle Arthur fought for this country in the Second World War. And he was captured and he became a prisoner of war in in a German prison camp. Great uncle Arthur had blonde hair and blue eyes. And he was asked by the commandant on many, many occasions, all you have to do is to say that you have some Aryan blood in you. And 
I will take you to a separate place and I will guarantee that you get 10 times the rations of your fellow British soldiers. And every single time, my great uncle Arthur said no, or perhaps he said nine. But he did it because he stood by his fellow soldiers. He stood by his countrymen. And it's people like that that we should be looking after, not those arseholes who turned up yesterday to cause trouble. Well said. Um, I didn't know about your Uncle Arthur, Kieran. It's uh, rather touched me. That's wonderful. Um, and we will not follow that with any flippant comments. So bye, everybody. Bye. I'm for the